Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. We are into mid-October here. Election Day, November 8th, 2022 is fast approaching. And along with many races for elected office on the ballot this year in New York, there are important referendums for voters to consider. On a pair of podcast episodes here at Max Politics, we're discussing those ballot questions, including one state wide ballot referendum and three others for only New York City voters. All of them are yes or no questions, but they deal with complex proposals and I have great guests to help break it all down. On this episode, we're dealing with questions two, three, and four, which are the ones that are only on the ballot for New York City this general election. They all deal with potential amendments to the New York City Charter passed by a racial justice commission assembled by then-Mayor Bill de Blasio. I'll be joined on this episode by Jennifer Jones-Austin, the chair of the New York City Racial Justice Commission, to discuss those three ballot questions which deal with proposals for a new mission statement preamble to the city charter, creating a new office of racial equity and a requirement for a citywide racial equity plan, and more that came out of a process held by the commission last year. Please do find the companion episode of Max Politics on ballot question one, which is the statewide proposal. New Yorkers across the state have the opportunity to vote on that one. It's a proposal for a $4.2 billion environmental bond act, which had been passed by the governor and legislature and now comes before voters to approve or disapprove because it deals with new state debt. The proposal is formally known as the Clean Water, Clean Air, and Green Jobs Environmental Bond Act of 2022. And as the name suggests, it would fund a number of environmental and climate-related projects across New York. To discuss Proposal 1 or Prop 1 or Question 1, I was joined by Julie Tai, president of the New York League of Conservation Voters, and Amy Chester, the managing director of Rebuild by Design. And I spoke with them both about the Environmental Bond Act, and a number of related climate, energy, and resiliency issues, including the imminent 10th anniversary of Hurricane Sandy devastating many parts of New York and where we stand on understanding the lessons of Sandy, resiliency measures, and more. Please do find that episode. It's a really good conversation. At the very least, it'll help you get prepared to think about your vote on ballot question number one, the statewide proposal for an Environmental Bond Act. Before we get into my discussion here on this episode with Jennifer Jones Austin about questions two, three, and four on the New York City ballot, a quick note about other important and interesting recent conversations I've had with a variety of guests, elected officials, candidates for office, advocates, and others in recent weeks and months. Find them all at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts, or at the Gotham Gazette website. I've spoken with congressional candidates, housing experts, immigrant advocates, the head of the city's principals union, the chair of the city's campaign finance board, uh, political analyst Bob Hart of Spectrum News on the governor's race between Governor Kathy Hochul and Congressman Lee Zeldin. And speaking of them, I'm hoping to have both of the gubernatorial candidates of the major parties on the show here between now and Election Day. We'll see if they accept my invitations on the show. And I have others going out for other statewide candidates and a variety of other potential guests. So check out the episodes we've already had and stay tuned for a lot of other good ones. So let's get into 
2022 general election ballot proposal questions two, three, and four here that will be on the New York City ballot only. City voters can flip their ballots or find the four ballot questions wherever they might be hiding on your ballot and vote yes or no on each. Again, find the other episode discussing question one on the Environmental Bond Act, but here we are on questions two, three, and four from the Racial Justice Commission. In brief, the three proposals would, one, add a statement of values to guide government as a preamble to the city charter focused on equity. Two, this is multi-part, create an office of racial equity in the city, create a new commission on racial equity, and require a citywide racial equity plan every two years. The Office of Racial Equity would work within city government. The Commission on Racial Equity would be a bit outside of city government to have oversight of that office and that racial equity plan. So there's a whole accountability measure built in there that they're attempting to create. And then third, require city government to develop and report an annual true cost of living measurement of what it actually costs to live in New York City without consideration of public, private, or informal assistance. Jennifer Jones Austin, the chair of the New York City Racial Justice Commission and also the CEO and executive director of FPWA. Jennifer, thanks for joining me to discuss Ballot questions two, three, and four on this year's New York City general election ballot. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. As I mentioned in the opening of the show, these are three proposals to amend the New York City Charter with a focus on racial equity that came out of the Charter Commission you led as assembled by former Mayor Bill de Blasio. We'll go through each of the proposals a little bit, but just give us a little overview of the work that you did leading this commission. You heard from a lot of New Yorkers. You held public hearings. You uh, brought in experts to discuss the work of the commission. Uh, Just give us a little sense of the work that went into creating these three ballot proposals that are now going before New Yorkers for them to either approve or disapprove on the general election ballot. Thank you. The the commission was created by Mayor Bill de Blasio following the 2020 protests uh, in connection with the killing of George Floyd, the killing of Ahmaud Arbery, and the killing of Breonna Taylor. Also, you know, during the height of COVID, when we appreciated looking both at what happened with those three persons and looking at Black Americans here in New York City and across the nation who were being disproportionately and devastatingly impacted by COVID. Um, you know, all of these instances helped us to appreciate that race was a factor. Race was an element, both with COVID and with the excessive use of force and killings of these three persons. The commission was created appreciating that racism still pervades every pillar of our society, not just in policing, not just in healthcare, but in education, in environmental concerns, uh, in everyday relationships, you know, in everyday engagement uh, as people move about, just trying to live freely and live wholly. Mayor Bill de Blasio said, we need a commission that is going to look at how we begin to address structural racism as it's embedded in city government functioning. He appreciated that, you know, racism has since the very beginning been embedded in our nation's foundational laws. You know, one need only look to the United States Constitution, where it was declared that African uh, African persons, persons of African descent, enslaved persons were three-fifths human. That is uh, racism and that's structural. And then we had laws that flowed therefrom. So the commission appreciated that racism still exists. 
We are not racist per se as people, but we've been birthed into a racially, uh, a structural society, I'm sorry, a society that has racism that is structural in nature. And so the commission was created to do the work of trying to un, uh, un, you know, dismantle structural racism. We met with New Yorkers, more than 3,000 New Yorkers uh, from all five boroughs to hear their experiences uh, in education and housing, environmental concerns, law enforcement, justice involvement, uh, issues attendant to hiring and promotions, even in city government. And time and time again, we heard that they were uh, facing issues that were race-based. And so the commission determined to look at all these issues. We heard, goodness, hundreds of, of testimonies if you will, and to figure out how we could find patterns and practices. And ultimately what resulted was we saw patterns that related to inequities in jobs and wages, promotions and hirings. We saw inequities with respect to services provided, critical services that everyday New Yorkers must have, disparities from neighborhood to neighborhood. We saw that there were disparities with respect to law enforcement and accountability, and all of them were race-based. We decided to go into the charter and figure out how we could overhaul it, give it a new foundation. We couldn't deal with each and every issue, but how we could begin to seed equity and justice in the New York City Charter, which is our constitution. And so you came up with three ballot proposals that have different facets to them. So let's take them one at a time. The question two that will be on people's ballots, and you have to find it on the back of your ballot, along with the other ballot questions or wherever it may be on some ballots that might be longer. You might have to find it a little bit, but but folks should make sure to weigh in on all the questions on their ballot. Question two on the ballot, the first of the three that your commission put forward, would add a preamble to the city charter that is a statement of values to guide government. It is acknowledgement of, of past wrongdoings. It's acknowledgement of the structural racism that you just discussed. What is the sort of gist of this preamble that you're proposing to the city charter and why is it necessary? It's all about casting a vision, casting an aspirational vision for our city who we are, what we believe that we can be, how we should look upon one another and engage with one another as whole individuals, families and communities, worthy of fairness and equity when it comes to everyday living and the supports that we all need to not only you know survive, but actually thrive. What we appreciated when we looked at the, at the charter at the New York City Constitution was that it had no statement of values to help us think about what what kind of city we want to live in? What kind of people we want to be? And so we thought it important to establish that. We thought it important, important to, you know, to acknowledge the harms because you can't really correct and control for harms that have been experienced in the past if you don't own them and if you don't outright acknowledge them. And so that's what this statement of value seeks to do. It does not create a private right of action. It does not. It, what it serves to do is to help people who are engaged in policy and decision-making to have a North Star and a value base for how we're to engage with and support all New Yorkers. And I'll say for viewers of this program, listeners of this program, you should read the proposed preamble. I'm not going to read it here for you. It's not that long, but it's worth reading in full uh, laying out sort of a set of values uh, in part, I'll just say that it 
has sort of a list of striving to be a city where and endeavoring to ensure that every person who resides in the city has opportunity to thrive with a list of sort of specifics about being able to live a full and healthy life. Uh, And as we both said, then also some acknowledgments of of past wrongdoings and of structural racism and so forth. Um, You mentioned that there's been some questions about whether adding this would create some new uh, right of action that would allow for lawsuits. And you're you're saying that the language very uh, carefully is meant to not allow for that. Is that correct? Right. We have carefully worded the language. We have vetted it with uh, numerous lawyers, uh, especially those within our New York City Law Department, to ensure that it doesn't. The intention here is not to, uh, you know, give everybody, you know, like, you know, a right to a, a slice of the pie, if you will, the New York City pie, but to set forth the value base where New York City can actually govern and structure itself to ensure that everybody has real opportunity, has real access. And then once it's in the charter, though, it's also something for city government to be held accountable for. That's exactly right. And that's why we created the second proposal. <laughs> so so the second uh, question uh, of the three is about creating an office of racial equity, requiring a citywide racial equity plan every two years, and creating a commission on ra- racial equity to represent communities' needs and publicly review the racial equity plan. Um, some of this strikes me as a little bit redundant of things that are already in city government or Mm -hmm. actions that city government already is tasked with, but might not necessarily be doing or doing to a full extent or coordinating well. So say a little bit about sort of trying to create a new office and what um, what kind of purview that office would would have and the importance of creating this plan that is constantly sort of reevaluated. Absolutely. So we have an Office of Gender Equity that uh, seeks to ensure that there is equity and fairness for women, that there is no bias, gender bias when it comes to government functioning. Uh, we have uh, we have the, the office that seeks to ensure that uh, women and minorities uh, have access to government contracts. We have uh, programs that center on opportunities for young black men and for other persons of color. Those are all well and good. The problem that we have is that we don't have any accountability for it. And we also know that just adding programs alone does not address where we may have, you know, within city government agencies and offices biases that are embedded into policies and practices and to programs and in programs. So we wanted to establish this racial equity office under which all of this would fall, but more importantly, make sure that we have plans where we set use data and we look at indicators to help guide us on the path to ensuring fairness and opportunity across the board. The Racial Equity Office would do just that. And it did Now, mayor has created an office of equity, but it's been done by executive order, which means that any mayor can come in and reverse that, or even the existing mayor can reverse that. We want to ensure, because racial injustice has existed for more than 400 years, that we don't believe that we can just like, fix the problem in just three to four or eight years. So we want it in the charter. And in terms of this planning process for a racial equity plan, um, 
this is, you know, it, it, it says in, in the sort of write up on the commission's website that this is about supporting city agencies and improving access to city services and programs for people and community who've been neg negatively affected uh, by policies in the past or haven't had access uh, in equal measure. I'm thinking right away this if really followed and if there is a semblance of accountability here, this could really shake up how city services are uh, developed and, and where funding goes and how things, everything from housing to education to sanitation mm -hmm. could be reallocated. Is the idea here to really uh, shift how city government is allocating resources to really shift uh, policies related to, you know, how, how sort of everyday city services are provided? The intention here is to first and foremost look at what is first happening, develop a baseline, look at where inequities persist and the reasons why, and then to make sure that, you know, there is equity in how services are set up in various communities, how there are, you know, various pro programmatic offerings, how contracts uh, are, are uh, procured, uh, you know, like uh, services are procured, and to ensure that equity attends across the board. What I want to be careful about is uh, any 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 suggestion or any thought that oh my goodness now this means that I'm going to lose some of mine you know to to ensure that somebody else gets oh oh my goodness they're not going to pick up my garbage on time because now they're so concerned about picking up somebody else's garbage that's not what is intended here at all it is ensure it's to ensure that every 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 community every individual every child every family has a real opportunity because that hasn't existed and here's what i'm going to tell you when we talk about equity and people start thinking about dollars and cents everybody centers on the pie being but so big the mckinsey group has done research on several occasions has produced reports demonstrating that if this nation were to center on equity we would actually realize a growth in our GDP, our gross domestic product, of as much as 46% by 2028. McKinsey has said that we are leaving $13 trillion on the table every, every year, every day, because we are not centering on it for everybody. So what we have to appreciate is if we make this investment and we figure out how to bring everybody up, we all actually do better. Uh, in our last uh, minute here, let's talk about this third uh, ballot question from the Racial Justice Commission. It is about requiring city government to develop and report a new true cost of living measurement about what it really costs to live in New York City. Why is that so important? That connects to your work at FPWA, but we don't need to talk about that at, at this moment. But why is that so? Why is that so important? So you saw my eyes get really big on this one. And that's because in part, whenever we talk to people out, their eyes get big as well. We know that uh, people of all races and ethnicities struggle are struggling here in New York City to pay their bills. We also know that you know, supports and wages are set using the federal poverty measure, which is dated, uh, outdated, it's antiquated. It says that a family of four living anywhere in the nation New York City included, needs just $27,750 to technically not be poor. Now, where in New York City can a family of four, where can one person live on just $27,750? If we calculate the true cost of living, we now have a guidepost for government officials, for even like private sector and others to look at what does it truly cost? 
what is fair wages? What you know? What are what are more equitable income supports to help people not only get by but actually get ahead? It helps us to center on what dignity looks like when it comes to meeting your basic needs, so that people are not necessarily languishing on income supports because you know a a cola of two percent doesn't cut it. This is a game changer in terms of how we as a city and actually how we as a a nation look at what it means to live with dignity. What does it really cost to live in this city, in this nation? And so we want to begin that work here in New York City. You're listening to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, and I'm speaking with Jennifer Jones Austin, chair of the New York City Racial Justice Commission and CEO and executive director of FPWA. We've been speaking about questions two, three, and four that will be on the general election ballot in New York City in the general election here in 2022. Make sure you flip your ballot or do whatever you need to do to find the four ballot questions that will be on your ballot and vote yes or no on them if you so choose. Question one relates to the Environmental Bond Act. That's a statewide proposal. Find our different discussion on that when you get a chance and listen in on uh, the discussion about the proposal for a $4.2 billion Uh, Clean Water, Clean Air, and Green Jobs Environmental Bond Act of 2022 that is on the ballot statewide, plus these three questions from the New York City Racial Justice Commission that are on the New York City ballot. Uh, Jennifer Jones-Austin, we've been talking a bit about these three proposals that your commission put forward. Let's talk a little bit more about this, uh, trying to get a true measure of the cost of living in New York City. As you say, there are a lot of uh, benefits that relate to federal measures If New York City creates its own, quote unquote, true cost of living measurement, what would that impact? That wouldn't necessarily impact federal benefits and federal aid, correct? So the true cost of living would not uh, definitively change uh, access and eligibility to benefits. What it would do if it were passed here in New York City is give us a better sense of what people need to actually live uh, not having to be reliant upon income supports. What currently happens right now here in New York City is the federal poverty level uh, as a guideline and measure doesn't help us really appreciate who's really in need because it's so low. It says that a family of three living anywhere in America needs just a little better than $22,000 to make it. But we know from the self-sufficiency standard, which is administered by the University of Wisconsin, that here in the Bronx, it takes at least eighty-one dollars to $80,000 for a family of three, uh, uh, one adult and two children to make it. Federal poverty level doesn't really help us appreciate who's really in need. The income supports are based on that federal poverty level. And uh, New York City, like other uh, municipalities, bases eligibility on that level. Occasionally, it will move beyond. Here in New York, the state, Governor Hochul, our state's Governor Hochul, increased eligibility for child care beyond what the federal poverty guidelines suggest or states that it should be. She can do that. Our mayor can do that. But you only do that if you know who's really in need. And so if you're using the federal poverty level to determine who's in need, it's gonna undercount the number of people. You can only do that, raise it and go beyond if you know who's really in need. That's what the true cost of living measurement does. Additionally, it will help us to appreciate what fair wages look like, what fair and meaningful wages look like. I think we have to pause and ask ourselves the question, is it okay 
that some people earn subpar wages that, you know, uh, that, that we live in a society where it's okay for women, uh, women, all women to earn less than men uh, and for black women to earn 64 cents on the dollar for what white men earn, uh, women of Hispanic origin, 56 cents, leaving them ever reliant upon income supports. Or should we really look at what does it cost and then look at how our society should equitably and fairly set wages and then enforce, you know, pay equity so that all people have an opportunity to live with dignity. That's what the true cost of living is intended to do. And I'll note that your organization, FPWA, has recently published a, a policy brief looking at, um, at why the federal poverty level is, is outdated and, and an inappropriate methodology, as you note there. So folks who want more detail can look at that. Was there anything else that that uh, exploration that you did at FPWA sort of pointed out um, that, that you haven't mentioned? Any other uh, important takeaways from that work yeah. that, that relate to this question that's now on the ballot before voters that, that coincides here with these questions around what it, what it takes to sort of live a, a life of dignity in New York City? Uh, for the most part, it really centered on what it really, what it truly costs to live in New York City, helping us to appreciate that we, we need to address the structural underpinnings of how we count who is poor, uh, how we count who is actually in need, and then figure out what we as a society are going to do. We're not just talking about giving people handouts, but how do we sure, ensure that our wage systems uh, and our structure setting for wages really helps to make sure that people who are working 40 plus hours a week can live with dignity. That was really what was at the core. And then determining, you know, what it takes at the city, state and federal levels to affect that change. One of the things that we did uncover, which I think is an interesting point of information, is that the federal poverty guideline is actually set by the executive branch of government. It is not legislated. Hmm. And so, you know, Congress does not have to uh, you know, convene and and change the federal poverty level, the federal poverty measure. It can be done by the executive branch. I think that's an interesting point of information. And is is there anything on this to the idea of uh, regionality? Um, you know, location based metrics because. Obviously, in New York State, when the minimum wage was raised, it was done on a regional basis. And mm-hmm. for the most part, that seems to have gone fairly smoothly. Um, is, is there anything here that could be done as far as you're concerned to sort of regionalize this, to acknowledge that it's a lot more expensive to live and, and raise a family in New York City than just about anywhere else or, or more than anywhere else virtually in the entire country, but in some other category with some of the more expensive places to, to live and raise a family. Is there any uh, yes. semblance yes. of an effort on that? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yes. And what I appreciate, I appreciate you for bringing that point out, because one of the things that we did look at was, you know, how are other counties across New York State faring when it comes to the true costs of living? And what we appreciate is that there is no county, there's not one county in New York State where the federal poverty level is an accurate measure of how much it costs to live in these states. And so there is a regional, uh, there is a regional element that needs to be embraced. One of my uh, hopes, you know, should this measure pass, should this particular ballot measure pass, is that we can now use it as a baseline to look at what's happening around the state 
as well as what's happening around the country. And maybe, maybe then, maybe then and only then can we embrace that uh, what it costs to pay for food, what it costs to pay your rent, what it costs for transportation here in New York City looks very different from what, you know, what it may cost in rural Georgia. Hey, in rural Georgia, maybe your transportation costs are more, but your food is less. You know, in San Francisco, maybe your housing and your your housing and your, let's say your food costs may be the same, but maybe your transportation is less. And America needs to embrace that, you know, we all know that not all states are the same, not all cities are the same. And if we're going to count what it costs for people to live, we need to take those considerations, those variables into account. We think that the true cost of living measure, if passed here in New York City, could begin to do that, mm-hmm. shape that conversation. You spoke a few minutes ago about this idea that you, you, know, you want to dispel the notion that anybody should see uh, this discussion as sort of a zero sum game that, um, you know, if, if these measures focused on uh, racial equity uh, are passed by voters, that that means the taking away of something from from others. Um, I think one question I've seen come up uh, a little bit around these ballot proposals is, are are they really necessary? Why isn't it that we have this massive city government led by lots of progressives and, and mm-hmm. liberal Democrats who believe in equity and, and who've announced, as you've noted, different efforts at equity and different programs and, and all sorts of, of things with a massive hundred plus billion dollar budget? Why can't we just have a, a better government meeting these goals where the leadership sort of takes care of these things that they say they believe in. Why, why do we need, you know, charter amendments to do that? Well, we first begin with the fact that uh, government leadership changes over time, right? Uh, sometimes it's two years, uh, sometimes it's four years, sometimes people sit in office for eight years or, uh, you know, here in New York State, you can you can hang out for quite a while, right? That's an exception, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we know that leadership changes over time. We know that leadership priorities change as well. What we also know is that racism and bias and inequity have persisted from government to government, leadership to leadership, executive to executive. And so if we do not set a vision and then embed it in the laws of this city, then we're going to be beholden to, you know, where a particular mayor may sit on an issue or where uh, legislators may sit. And we won't get ahead. The way that this the, the, the nation has been designed and structured, beginning with slavery, it was to use to essentially allow our laws to lead the way. And that's what has happened here. If we don't have people intentionally and deliberately scrutinizing what we do and how we do it, then racism, because it's been embedded not only in our laws, but in our value base, in our attitudes. We, you know, and I include black persons when I say this as a black person, you know, we sometimes find ourselves acting in ways that uphold structural inequity. And so if we have a guidepost in the laws of this city that that live beyond one administration or the next, then we are going to serve and seek to uphold those laws to the best of our ability. We can't leave it to chance. We can't leave it to the whims of any one particular legislator or executive. 
And, and that gets at the next step around accountability. So coming back to what is the, the second ballot question you've put forward, which will be question three on people's ballots, um, mandating a racial equity plan, creating a new commission, um, uh, in uh, trying to create cycles of accountability here. Um, I, I've covered city government, you know, long enough here for a decade or so to watch lots of mandated plans that wind up not getting a lot of accountability attached to them. How does the structure of this ballot question and this change to the charter of voters approve it? How does it ensure that accountability um, and, and what would be needed of leaders? Because as much as you could bake something into this amendment, you would still you still really would need elected leaders to make sure um, to follow through. So say a little bit about the accountability mm-hmm. mechanisms built in, but what leaders of a mayoral administration, a city council, a public advocate, et cetera, would also be um, you know, sort of responsible for in the larger ethos. So much to say here. The first thing that I'll, Sorry, uh, I'll share with you, <laughs> the first thing that I'll share is that uh, this racial equity plan, while uh, it would sit uh, in and be in under the responsibility of the mayor to execute, it implicates all city agencies, all mayor offices, as well as the controller, as well as the city council. The c- controller would have an auditing responsibility to audit the racial equity plan and audit the mayor's agencies uh, and offices to ensure that they are uh, beholden to it and are proving themselves uh, you know, responsible in administering it. It requires that a commission be established comprised of everyday New Yorkers who would be charged with the responsibility of you know, looking at the racial equity plan, looking at the reporting out on it, and making sure that the the city government is adhering to it. But you know, one of the things that I think that we often leave out uh, and we give a pass on or a pass to are everyday New Yorkers. Here's the beauty of these proposals: if New if New Yorkers determine that they want these proposals to become law, then the New Yorkers will New Yorkers will have stated that they believe that equity and fairness should be a part of government functioning. And then they should not leave the voting booths, right? Or fill out the grid and then just walk away and leave it to the government to figure it out from there. They have to hold government accountable. And so if government is not producing these two year plans and putting out these reports, they have an opportunity, New Yorkers have an opportunity with their votes to say how they feel about that. And so what we believe is that we've created shared accountability, mutual accountability, not just to leave it to government and see what they do, but let's have a commission here comprised of everyday New Yorkers to hold New York York City government accountable, as well as New Yorkers having the opportunity to vote, you know, what they're saying, their feel. Uh, like I said before, I'm not going to be able to, we're not going to be able to present all the details of, of what's on the ballot here. Everyone should go to the um, Racial Justice Commission's website, look over as much information as they can, uh, read the proposed preamble to the city charter, read the makeup of the proposed office and plan and commission that we're getting at here. There's a lot of accessible information on the website. I did find it very interesting that you uh, have as part of this proposal for the new Racial Justice Commission, um, as you noted, there's appointees from different elected officials, the mayor, the yes. council speaker, the controller, the public advocate. And I found it especially noteworthy that you included that one mayoral appointee and one city council speaker appointee 
would be required to represent the perspectives and concerns of New Yorkers under the age of 25. I thought that was a very valuable inclusion Mm -hmm. uh, of of a measure for inclusivity of of younger New Yorkers who are often sort of left out of the the process of of looking at what their city is doing for them or, or with them. Absolutely. You know, the short of it is that uh, we've tried many things to uh, ensure that people with low income and communities of color uh, come on up. Uh, We have many, many programs. We have many policies that we put in place. But if we don't uh, recognize and acknowledge that the structural underpinnings have been flawed since the beginning of the founding of this nation. And that if you try to build policies and programs on, uh, you know, uh, flawed foundations, you're only going to get but so far that what you really need to do is to take a look at those foundations and figure out if and how and where you can reset. And then you have a better chance of overcoming these you know, longstanding uh, problems that this nation has had and our city has had. These proposals are intended to do that. Final question for you here, uh, Jennifer Jones-Austin, and thank you for the time again. Uh, as you noted, part of the sort of motivation for the Racial Justice Commission that you chaired and that has now put these ballot proposals before voters this fall was around the 2020 killing of George Floyd and other people of color by police Uh, the Black Lives Matter movement that was resurgent in 2020, um, obviously connected in New York City to a number of of similar incidents like the killing of Eric Garner. Um, So that that was some of the background to this commission's work. We're now here, the commission uh, finished its work in terms of crafting these proposals right at the end of the de Blasio administration. We have a new mayor, Eric Adams. He's been supportive of sort of the education efforts around these questions. But if you could zoom out for a moment under the new mayor, who obviously ran on uh, policing, both more accountability, but also uh, sort of stricter law enforcement and more police presence, um, he, he has said he can you know, thread that needle. I just wanted to get your sense nine or so months into the Eric Adams administration, where you sort of feel like that um, that process of, of more police accountability in the city stands uh, from your vantage point? So um, I appreciate that our mayor uh, is seeking to ensure greater safety for all of us. Uh, What I also appreciate is that uh, a lot of work has been done through the years and FPWA uh, has done its own work looking at crime and, and, and justice involvement here in New York City. And one of the things uh, that we uncovered, one of the most startling points of information that we uncovered is uh, that here in New York City, uh, 40% of uh, the tr- uh, crimes committed by New Yorkers attributable to poverty. 80% of people who are housed on Rikers uh, you know, have mental illness uh, of varying forms. More people who are housed on Rikers have mental illness than persons who are li- uh, living in mental health institutions. We cannot, we cannot begin to fight crime here in New York City and bring it down significantly if we don't look at the key contributors to crime. And so, you know, we can deal with the problem once it happens, but that's not going to resolve the issue. And so, you know, I'm committed to working with this mayor and his administration to ensure that the approach that's taken 
to addressing crime and justice involvement is two-pronged. It is, you know, it's like interventions and shutting it down, but it's also what needs to to occur in New York City to prevent these, these problems, prevent this crime from happening in the first place. And a lot of it has to do with poverty and mental illness. So we need to take a multi-pronged approach and that's what I'm here to do. All right, we will leave it there. A lot more to discuss another time. Uh, You've been listening to Jennifer Jones Austin, the chair of the New York City Racial Justice Commission and CEO and executive director of FPWA. We've been speaking about what will be ballot questions two, three, and four on your general election ballot here in 2022. Please also find the other episode of the podcast that focuses on question one, the Environmental Bond Act. That's a statewide proposal in front of voters. So all New York City voters and voters outside the city. Questions two through four here that we've been talking about are just for New York City voters that relate to the New York City Charter Amendments that have been put forward by the Racial Justice Commission that Jennifer Jones Austin has chaired. Thank you for the time. Be well, and we'll catch up more soon. (laughs) 